0: Hi, and welcome to The Gist with Joe. I'm here today with uh, Zevi Slavin. Zevi is the creator of Seekers of Unity, an educational project and community community dedicated to a collaborative, comparative, interdisciplinary exploration of mysticism, exploring the unity of the world's mystical traditions and the intersection of philosophy and mysticism, the East and the West, ancient and contemporary, in the hopes of creating a more intimate, tender, and caring world together. Slavia, Zevi, how are you today? I just combined both your names together. Zevi, how are you today?
1: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Great to be with you. Thank you for having me on, Joe.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm you know, really, really thankful for you to be on. So, um, you know, as you, as you might know, as we talked about, this whole channel is to help people gain an introduction to some serious thinkers on the YouTube platform, specifically serious thinkers in the fields of either theology or philosophy or psychology. And what I think is really cool about your particular project is that you're blending philosophy, theology, and psychology. I know they're they're blended often, but you do it in a really interesting way, and you're blending all these all these three disciplines together in the good of mysticism. And so with that, I would like to you know shut up and have you explain what you think the gist of the project that you're doing is what's your goals? What's your vision? Really, what what's seekers of unity all about?
1: Wow, uh, there's so many ways to dice it. How do we how do we do this? I think that um, let's talk about let's let's begin perhaps from a religious context and then shift into the philosophical and psychological. Sure. I think that I think that religiously speaking, there's one or two. There's one of two dominant narratives. That we here in the West are raised on. We're either raised with one religion typically, and there are exceptions, of course. But we're typically either raised with one religion or with no religion. One religion means that this tradition that you're born into is the truth, the only truth, the eternal truth, uh, and everyone else is mistaken or wrong or worse. And then the other option is that there's just no religion at all. We're secular. We believe in the progress of science and materialism and uh, and that will, That's, that's all there is. And there's no, there's no, there's no greater mysteries that we need to know. Those are sort of the two big camps. And I think that between those two big camps there's obviously a lot of varieties in between a lot of ways that this manifests, but there's a growing middle space where people who are either disenfranchised or disenchanted from, from either of those two camps are moving into a middle space. Again, a very diverse space. And this is a huge, like, generalization covering millions of individual people with individual thoughts. Right. But the middle space where people like, Hey, maybe there is something about this religion story, but it's not one which is particular to my own tradition. It's something which is human and something which is true beyond my own small narrative and community beyond my own people of faith, that there's something larger going on here. And, and in a way that can be reconciled with the science and with the with philosophy and with psychology. So that's sort of the religious perspective. And, and that opens up a space. Sometimes universalism is used. It's not a word that I love. The word that I gravitate towards more is perennialism, which has its own history um, from the Renaissance and onwards. Yeah. Where yeah. where there's sort of where there's shared truths in all faiths, let's say like that. Then on, on the on the philosophical side of things there there's ways of thinking about reality that are different to again to dominant philosophical narratives philosophy has less sway in contemporary society just because of the nature of religion versus philosophy as as the capacity to move people but philosophically speaking there are also there are competing narratives and the narrative a philosophical narrative that undergirds contemporary science um although it claims to be free philosophical assumptions is only one vision of reality and there are alternative visions. And I think that the vision of philosophical mysticism, the vision of the mystics in the world's mystical traditions, the various traditions, they combine to tell a new story, a new philosophy and a new version of religiosity, which is also a very old one. And and to me, it's, it's actually, it's not primarily a religious or a philosophical or a psychological story psychology in this context being the the brainchild of philosophy, but it's a human story. It's humans that are having human experiences and are trying to articulate the the depth of their truest experiences in a way that compels them to goodness and kindness in a way that's rigorous and thoughtful and, and working through with their own traditions. So I, I actually, I try not to make any too broad metaphysical claims uh, in my own work or in the project but to to ask what is the what is the human story that's emerging and 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 can we get beyond our own little blinders and see a bigger story and that's the project of seeking unity of looking looking beyond our own boundaries of my religion my philosophy my this and see what what is the common human narrative that's being told here and is it one that we feel might be one which is helpful one which is good one which is beautiful and true that we may be able to hold on to and to take us through to a better tomorrow that's and a small synopsis of it.
0: You did a great job tying that in. You did a really great job at the very end, just crescendoing that. And and no that, that, that was a great explanation. It really was. And if I can rephrase to just put in the most simplest terms, it sounds like what you're saying is secrets of Unity and what your project is all about is trying to invite and facilitate people to see the patterns and the symbols of reality. And if we can see the patterns of reality and realize that these patterns actually exist, that these patterns are universal, maybe that might inspire us to, well, exist differently. And exist yeah. more optimal. Because because the hope, right, I, I guess, would be, right, you see these patterns and how these symbols and patterns ultimately rise up in a hierarchy and that hierarchy, the, the, the head of that hierarchy being God, right? So Absolutely. it's helping us see these symbols and patterns expressed possibly, I mean, for your case, in the tradition of mysticism, and how can that help us go up and, and, and perceive and be aware, be attentive of this, this hierarchy that ultimately leads to, leads to God.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very beautiful way of putting it. And it's it's fascinating to be engaging in these sort of conversations at, at high levels of abstraction because you get to hear the way that you've sort of unpacked. And you, I mean, you, you've studied Catholic theology, systematic theology from what I understand, and the way that you're interpreting it through your own lens, me coming from a very different world and we're trying to meet somewhere in the middle. It's a very, very beautiful and complex abstract dance that we're doing here. I, I would be a bit more careful in my formulation I I I'm I'm speculating yes about potential patterns and patterns is a great word here patterns in reality but I'm not making any claims about reality um, mm. as such I'm 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 beginning at least at least in the opening um volley um for the first yeah. <laughs> 5 minutes of the podcast I'm I, I'm first trying to observe patterns um in human experience as recounted in human testimonies about their experience because we don't have access to humans experiences directly that's the nature of experience but so patterns <laughs> Patterns in the testimony um, of mystics from various traditions, uh, and then when we put those patterns of testimony together, what are the what are the what are the theories they're saying? What are the patterns in amongst their cosmologies, theologies, theosophies, metaphysics, um, cosmogenies? Perhaps we can then begin to speculate about patterns in reality itself, um, and we can maybe also begin to uh, deconstruct the binary of experience and reality. But I'm 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 not making any claims about reality just yet. But, sure. but I think I think first make claims about about human human experiences and human narratives based on those experiences.
0: I no, and that's a very careful way of putting it and I appreciate that. This is your explanation got me thinking because I know this is not, I I I am very well let me put this carefully I, I feel accurate in in, in this proposition proposition I'm about to say is that you are not advocating for this like you kinotheistic way of approaching uh of approaching God or approaching how we how we experience religion, right? Now what I'm curious from your explanation right there is do you think that if you if if you aren't careful enough in the content content that you're creating to the average viewer do you believe they can walk away from watching some of the videos on seekers of unity and believe in this more like henotheistic way of perceiving god their henotheism gods therefore like oh yeah there's multiple gods but this god's better and this god's better than this god and then it becomes like a hierarchy of gods
1: <laughs> right so <laughs> I mean it's it's always such a it's always a terrifying challenge being in the role of an educator of what is it that you're saying and how is that going to be perceived and received and taken away and it's even more challenging when you're talking to the internet you don't know who your audience is you, you can't see their faces you can't hear their questions um it's truly terrifying and and I know that I have my little brother who's a you know 16 year old um kid in, in yeshiva still in a Hasidic education that, that i was raised in he's listening to some of my stuff and then and then it's an atheist and a scientist and a philosopher from kuala Lumpur listening as well so it's it's like it's very hard to, right. you know, to try and be carefully for that reason um
0: especially when you talk about mysticism that's yeah what, that's what yeah. that's what really you know possibly convolutes this is that you know i understand what you're saying when you're talking about you know looking at different mystical traditions and and trying to find possibly a common ground um but I'm sure you're very careful because you don't necessarily want to maybe you do I don't know you don't want to necessarily speak a message of complete relativism or, or or pluralism
1: no I'm I'm not I'm not promoting uh, any particular um, epistemological agenda as such I think that I think that let's let's go back to the question that you posed yeah. of, of God of, of henotheism henotheism just for 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 those that need a refresher is the belief that uh, there are multiple gods, but that our God is the most powerful. That's a, at least a simple simple description of what Hinochism Hino is. Very good,
0: simple, yeah, way of putting it good.
1: So I I try, the, a lot of the work of theology and philosophy at its finest is simply the work of redefining language. Language is, is so essential to our experience as humans. And when we're using language well, uh things things can have at least a hope and chance of running well uh, communication construction instruction um, relationships and when when commun- when communication is poor, then there's very little chance for for any of that. So part of the work of of the philosopher and of the theologian is to is to clarify language and I think that a lot of the work that I'm doing is to clarify sort of here. this is a point that Wittgenstein makes that that all disagreements are just misunderstandings of language. Um, so words like mysticism, words like God are all words which need a lot a lot of work to be unpacked explored, rehabilitated, reused, reconstructed. These are all very, very loaded and difficult words. I I think that when I'm talking about God, when I use that three-letter word on the channel, I don't mean what most uh, traditional, conservative, fundamentalist, religionists think of that word. I'm I'm using that word very differently. I'm using that word as the mystics um, use it. It's a placeholder for that which is unknowable, but is being and the ground of being itself, from which all uh, emerges um, conceptually and to which all returns. Uh, It is absolute nothingness, and it is absolute being, it is absolute infinity and finitude, it is the coincidence of opposites. I'm not talking about... a a beardy a beardly figure yep. who uh, who takes people from one country to another and fights their wars and answers praise I'm not talking about that exactly. I'm not talking i'm not I'm not talking about the god of your grandmother to put it simply your grandmother okay. may be a theologian you know I mean, no no, my but.
0: grandmother's a little Italian Catholic who believes that God lives in the sky so
1: well so so I think and listen i'm I'm not saying this I don't have any I have nothing against grandmas and I have nothing yeah, against right Yes, I have nothing. I have nothing against against um, sort of infantile theologies, and I think that that when we are infants, those theologies are very helpful. And we're infants at many points in our lives. We can be adults, and we can need to turn back to to the God of our childhood, um, to the and and that's and that's okay. I think I think in in times of prayer, in times of need, these are images of God that we that we conjure. But when when I talk about when I talk about God, I'm not talking about um, a God who who competes with with other gods for dominance and supremacy and power. So the question of henotheism um, is, is not a question which I think uh, would even apply to the categories that I'm talking about. I think if someone comes away from my channel thinking that I'm arguing for monotheism or henotheism or polytheism um, or atheism, I think that they've completely misunderstood what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, to entirely uh, redefine, along with great mystics and theologians, what that three letter word means in its entirety. And I think it's a word that when it's redefined is a reference to reality itself in its highest potential conceptualization, which demands us to live up to it in certain ways. If I use the word God, the way that I think it means that, that, that makes a moral and ethical demand upon me to, to treat all of reality um as really? such um with yeah. kindness and compassion, the face of God itself. So I, I'm not even entering qu- like questions of one God or many gods or yeah. I to- like I'm talking about reality itself. And, and the, and the mystic is the one who encounters reality as such.
0: I mean, mic drop, I don't even know necessarily. What all, that was great, great way to like sum that up. Um, And I think that's important because, I mean, you don't know everyone who's watching your channel and I remember, actually, so we talked about this before we got on the air. I told you that I was a former high school teacher. Um, I actually remember showing, and I forget exactly which video it was, but I remember showing a video of yours to my high school uh, senior class. And this class was a world religions class. I was teaching world religions at the time. And a bunch of 17-year-old kids, they might have explored your channel a little bit. And you go back to this infantile notion of, of, belief or not God rather. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what the perspective or what the, what they would take away because again, when you, and we talked about this before, it's when you, when, when you're operating up here, right. And you're just entering the door into this thought, it might, you, you don't have the lexicon, you don't have the proper, maybe you don't even have the complex thoughts yet of, trying to really understand what you're trying to advocate here. And so I think that what you just did was a great explanation of of what your mission is for your channel. And I want to, I want to go and I want to talk about more convoluted words, conflated words, and that word obviously being mysticism, right? Um, So again, maybe either people who are watching your channel, watching this channel, or just individuals who are, Somewhat interested. I mean, everyone today, I feel like in the West has somewhat of an interest in spirituality of mysticism. I know this and I see this because I see how many different metaphysical crystal stores have popped up in my city, right? I see the teenage girls that I used to teach where, you know, I I I wear my cross. I but you know, if if I was a 17-year-old girl, this would be a crystal. Um, even for, even for the young guys, right. My, 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 my wedding ring, for example, if I was 17, well, if I was 17, I wouldn't be wearing a wedding ring, but, um, (laughs) right. It would have a crystal in the middle. And and so that's misguided. And I, I, I strongly believe that that's misguided. I strongly believe that that is, that they're not doing necessarily anything in bad faith. They're just simply unaware. And again, we even see religiosity come out in how we, uh, interact with political parties. We see religiosity in how we interact with conspiracy theories. I actually think that we live in a highly religious world now. I think possibly that we live in one of the greatest times of uh, re- religiosity than, than the world has ever seen. It. Again, it's just misguided and unaware. And so I look at the term mysticism and I know that people in, who, are, who are Christian, who are Jews, who are Muslim? Who you know, really? I, I specifically, actually, in, in the monotheistic traditions and the traditions of the book, they might see that word mysticism, and it conjures a lot of negative connotations. The secular individual might see mysticism and just automatically connect it with this new age crystal weaving, you know, tarot card passing out way of way of expressing spirituality. This isn't good. This is this this is not good. I, I will say that. Um, with how conflated this term mysticism is, it actually, it actually is a is a huge disservice for what you're trying to do with your intellectual project. You did such a great job explaining how you do not advocate for henotheism. Can you do an even better job explaining what what a what you believe is an accurate. definition or explanation rather of of mysticism
1: yeah you you laid out the problem so so eloquently and so well and i I couldn't agree with you more um on on how equally important and convoluted the the understanding of, of this word is there's um and it's not a new problem at all there's there is a scholar who said that there is no word that is more convoluted in the english in the english language and mysticism uh, uh, Gershon Shalom, the, the great scholar of Jewish mysticism to only to only make the problem worse said that even in the scholarship even even in academia where things are typically a lot more clear than they are in public jargon and discourse he says that every scholar of mysticism has their own definition of mysticism so we're we're kind of we're kind of up a creek on both sides both both in the public, the word is used uh, incredibly, radically, and poorly. And then even in the scholarship, there's, there, there's not a whole lot of consensus on what the word means. A lot of my work is to try and move towards a consensus of the definition of the definition of mysticism. Uh, see- where, um, seekers of unity is, is a broad term, and it's seeking unity in many things. Uh, one of them is to seek unity, uh, to seek a unified definition of mysticism. And that's work that I'm doing for the channel in upcoming videos, upcoming series, trying to tackle the concept of mysticism itself, and we've started some of that, looking at the history of mysticism, the development of the word, history of the the concept, the term itself, back to its ancient Greek etymology really? through the early church fathers, through all the way up to Schleiermacher, William James, and Huxley until the present day, and that's that's important work as far as I as far as I'm concerned. It is. Um, I I think that so let's talk then about about what the definition is. Mysticism comes from the ancient Greek mystikoi, which literally just means the one who is initiated. Uh, initiated here, speaking about the ancient Greco-Roman mystery sure, religions, sure. Um, where the the most famous, those of being Eleusis and Dionysus, um, which, which every Greek citizen, uh, anyone who was anyone went to experience. We don't know a lot about what they experienced because they were not allowed to repeat what they saw on punishment of death. But we do know that from the little smatterings that have escaped, we do know that there was some kind of revelation of divinity uh, and in the face of that revelation um things like
0: mortality
1: death became a joke and so so we begin to see a
0: joke can you just clarify i think i understand what you mean but just for everyone who's watching yeah it, yeah
1: okay. that 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 there was no reason to fear death anymore that it that it's that it was like it was it was incom it wasn't even it was incomprehensible like there was there was an embrace of of divine immortality, let's say. Uh, and, and there's different theories of what exactly went on. There's a lot of scholarship on this. Uh, my very good friend and colleague, Justin, sorry, Philip home over on Let's Talk Religion has made a f- fantastic, one of the most concise presentations on the internet, um, on the Greco-Roman mystery religions. I recommend checking that out. Fast, fast forward a few, because the word goes through a very long, complex historical development and, and something which we cover at great length on the, on the in that series. But Speaking today, just because the brevity of time, today there are two definitions of mysticism that I push for. Um, and this is after having done a survey of hundreds of definitions uh, f- throughout for hundreds of years until today, um, and work which I am going to present on the channel, God willing. But the two best definitions um, that I found, and 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 kind of amalgamating a few really leading scholars on the field today. Um, obviously picking, picking amongst camps. And then there are different camps. There's the perennialist, the constructivist, the contextualist. And these are things which we discuss in the channel, But, but the two, the two definitions are one of them is from early in the century, a Anglican scholar by the name of Evelyn Underhill. She has, I have one, I have one poetic definition and one technical. So hers is a poetic. She wrote what was for many is the most, the most popular book written, um, from a scholar to the public on mysticism. Um, it's just the title is mysticism, looking at Christian mystics. She wrote another book called practical mysticism, an incredible, um, incredible, incredible scholar. She defines mysticism as she, the phraseology changes between her texts, but the fame, the the one which I make best is mysticism is the art of union with reality. One more time. Mysticism is the art of union with reality. Sometimes she says the science of union with reality, but, but in like art, the art of union with reality. And that's an important definition because it is mysticism, is not is the first one of the first connotations uh, is the magical, the superstitious, the woo woo, or the escapist. We're looking to get away from the world. And there are reasons why we have that conception. And Underhill's definition is so beautiful because what she's saying is it's not about getting away, it's about encountering reality itself. It's about uniting the art of union with reality. And that's what we spoke about before: God uniting with God, uniting with reality. Sometimes she uses a capitalized R to represent the the, the divine reality. That's that's a that's a poetic, um, important definition, and, and I and I want that definition to be out there on the airwaves because, because it counteracts. A lot of, it cuts through a lot of confusion. A more technical definition for those that are a bit more um, categorical or philosophical in their thinking is an amalgamation of uh, definitions given by uh, Peter Moore and Bernard McGinn, two very, very brilliant scholars of, of mysticism. The definition is that mysticism, if we bracket the historical and ontological questions, right, bracket what's happened socially and what may be the metaphysical reality lying behind this, yeah. is three things. is. Unitive experiences, and there's a variety of potential mystical experiences. They can be aesthetic, they can be contemplative, there's various forms of that. Unitive mystical, unitive experiences, unitive theories, and I'll explain what that means in a second, and unitive practices. Unitive theories are theories that we humans employ to try and make sense of the unitive experiences which we have, and 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 humans have this. I think the uh, recent Gallup poll shows that one in five Americans report having a self-described mystical experience. And I'm focusing here on on the unitive component on this, partially because of uh, William James and others, but I think yeah. it's I think it's really the core of the definition here. Um, and then when we try and un- understand our everyday reality, which is not unitive, which is which is pluralistic and multiplicitous, when we try and reconcile those two, we come up. With theories of mysticism, they're unitive theories. Those are things like a great chain of being to explain the relationship between the one and the many, the most classical problem of philosophical mysticism. And then there are practices. And so theories are are, are metaphysics, our theologies, our mythologies, sciences. These are all theories of unity. Um, And then there are practices. Practices uh, split into two camps. It is techniques to try and bring on a mystical experience to try and get us into that space. And then it is the ethics. How do we behave facing, going forward in our lives, um, having experienced what we experience and, and and knowing what we know in, in theory and practice? Um, Bernard McGinn's spin on this is that it is everything. He, he describes the unit of experience as an encounter with God. He's using theistic Christian language. And I would just, to make that a bit more comprehensible, I would replace God with reality to use Underhill's term. And McGinn says it's everything that leads up to that encounter the techniques that lead up to there and everything that flows from the encounter, which is both the theories and the ethics, the practices. Um, so how, however you want to schematize that, um, unit of theories, unit of experience, unit of practices. And I, I found that an incredibly helpful way to to both make sense of what's happening in mysticism, to pass out when you're reading a text. Am I right now reading a technique? Is it experience? Is it theory? Is it practice? And also uh, an incredibly helpful way to maintain balance because when people, when scholars will study mysticism, sometimes there'll be an overemphasis on experience, sometimes too much theory, sometimes too much practice. And this keeps all three in a nice balance of one another. So those are my two definitions of mysticism, as concise as I can give them over. And, uh, no, the out I'm of union about. with reality and unit of experience
0: theory and practice. And it, you know, Underhill, it sounds like her, you know, poetic way of of, of defining mysticism, how I just framed it in my head, is it's 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 like the mother hugging the yeah it's like the mother hugging the child. So the second way in which you define mysticism, um, and here's the deal: complex things sometimes cannot be explained very succinctly. You know, in you obviously, I'm really happy that you just didn't give like a one two sentence explanation for mysticism and you did it actually with that being said i mean you did really actually describe it succinctly but i think you know what i'm getting at but yeah it's like underhill like just gave that hug everything that you just explained in your second definition can be understood when underhill says what the art of union with reality and i I really think that's just so beautiful there's just so much to unpack here i (laughs) there's so much to unpack here but i want to the first one of the funny things that first came to mind off the off the recording we talked about talking for a second and it's so funny it talked about you know scotus and how the connection with with talking possibly it is funny that uh you know underhill a great mystic writer and thinker in in the in in the fellowship of the ring Tolkien uses the last name Underhill. And I i, I don't think that that that's probably not a, a deep connection, but I think Tolkien probably had his the pulse on the mystical experience and, and mystical ideas. Uh, I would not be shocked if he was aware of that, but I don't know. That's that's for yeah, that's a different that. conversation. Um,
1: that, that, that'd be very interesting. I don't know enough about, about his influences, but that, that would be a nice little Easter egg.
0: <laughs> so I'm curious, um, You were, one thing, and this kind of goes away from exactly what I was discussing, you know, the the order of the conversation, but I'm, so I'm trying to like bridge all these things. You just did a great job explaining uh, what, what this, this idea, really this reconstructed vision of mysticism is. We had that conversation because we first talked about how people are, well, misunderstanding This notion of mysticism and sometimes they're conflating it with uh they're conflating it with secular new age practices okay do you think oh and you also mentioned the gallup poll i think what 60 percent of individuals claim that they have
1: Uh, yeah a significant number Yeah.
0: sure so a significant number of adults claim they have a mystical experience i'm curious what you think of the usage of psychedelic drugs to what's the word i want to use the usage of psychedelic drugs to introduce a possible mystical experience this is something that i and again why i bring this up is because i'm trying to bridge this re enchanted re you know, constructed vision of mysticism that you present. I'm trying to bridge that. I'm trying to make sense of that with this more new agey way of of understanding mysticism. And yes, I know people will disagree, but I am actually going to put the usage of psychedelic drugs in the more new agey secular field of trying to initiate a mystical experience. I'm curious if you've ever thought about the usage of psychedelic drugs. Are they appropriate to uh, begin a mystical experience or is it to do that? Is that in bad faith, you think?
1: It's a complex question. Um, I want to maybe take a step one step back. Uh, before before stepping back to this question, um, th- I think there's an assumption, and I'm I'm trying to just like listen carefully to what you're saying and try to try to communicate effectively. I think there's an assumption um, that's made that mysticism is inherently a category of religion. Yes, um, and I'm not saying I'm not I intentionally. I'm not saying religious because that's a very loose word, and 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 religious could be could mean a different thing. I could wash my car religiously, um, and that could be a fine usage of the word. I mean, I mean religion here in a with a capital R. I mean institutionalized proper forms of religion, uh, not religiosity per se. Um, so that's that the assumption that's made that mysticism uh, is a subcategory or, or or a function of religion, capital R. It's it's not only an assumption that's made uh, by the public. There are scholars that take this opinion or that have taken this opinion. Um, Gershon Shalom, who I mentioned earlier, um, one of the leading scholars uh, or the leading scholar of Jewish mysticism of his generation, uh, very famously claims in the opening pages of his magnum opus, Major Trends of Jewish Mysticism, that there is no such thing as mysticism outside of religion. I think Shalom is wrong, and most scholars today think so as well. Um, I hope he forgives me from the grave for saying this. But I don't think that i I'm looking at mysticism as a human phenomena. I'm looking at religion as a human phenomena. And those two phenomena often are conflated for good reason because the mystic encounters what they feel to be the numinous, the divine um and and therefore um is is part of religion, and whether that's part of the inception of religion or the regeneration of religion or revival, that's that's also a complex question. um. But they certainly become connected historically. That's that's with no denial. But I do think that mysticism, uh unit of experiences, unit of theories, and unit of practices, can happen outside of the context of religion, outside of the context of theism. I think there's a debate amongst the scholars whether um whether certain schools in Buddhism should be considered mystical. um there is, there's a strong strong reasons to argue that it should not be considered mysticism. I'm of the opinion um among among many other scholars that that it should be considered mystical. It, it is not mysticism if we think that mysticism is only about uniting with God, which is a Christian or, or, or biblical Abrahamic definition of mysticism. i don't I don't think that's part of my definition of mysticism. Mysticism is the art of union with reality. However you conceptualize that. If you conceptualize reality to be fundamental emptiness, you studied Buddhist theology, Buddhist thought and, and, and yeah. philosophy, so you'll know what I'm talking about here. If you believe that reality is fundamentally empty, Uh, and you can encounter that and experience that and be in uh, union with that because it is what you are, then I believe that that is a unit of theory uh, and one which comes with unitive experience. And and it's a complex point, but what I'm trying to say is that mysticism happens without theism and without religion. So to your point then, I think that if someone is... Taking psychedelics, let's say, psychedelics happens. Also, I, I appreciate what you're saying that that you're putting psychedelics in the category of new age. It's also worth mentioning that psychoactive um, chemicals and and beverages have been part of religious practice for millennia. So Going it's back to, to, those,
0: to those cults that you were talking about for me, I mean that's that was a part of the that was yes. a big yes. Uh, aspect of of those traits.
1: yes yes in ancient but in ancient West and in ancient East so so that's that's important there is some historical context to to add there but the, but the point you're saying you're talking about the contemporary form and yeah. what you're talking about I think I think that I think that if if someone is uh taking a, a psychoactive uh drug or entheogenic whatever it is and they are it's and it is engendering uh what they're self-describing as a mystic as sorry as a unitive experience right and they are beginning to theorize, and it could be a scientific theory, it could be a neurological theory. They begin to theorize about how to think. It could even be an economic theory of of how do we implement our experience in a way that's that brings equality for people. These are these are all unitive theories, and they're undertaking practices to meditation, contemplation, dance, ritual, and ethics to to behave more kindly and more gently towards the neighbor because of their experience. I I can't see why this would not be considered mysticism, mysticism on sure. on McGinn's defi- on McGinn and, and and Peter Moore's definition. Sure. Um it doesn't, it doesn't, there, there is some there, there is some scholars who will debate this and who will say that it shouldn't be considered mysticism at all. I think it's a minority and it's a it's a it's a it's a losing um position in the scholarship. This is this is a big change when 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 Aldous Huxley put out his book, The Doors of Perception, where he described his own experience with masculine, um, he received so much hatred from both the religious world and the academic world um, for even for even for even um suggesting that mysticism proper had anything to do with these drugs. Um, William James when he when he imbibed nitrous oxide, Um, and he writes about reading hegel on oxide which is one of the greatest (laughs) philosophical accounts to read um he doesn't he doesn't write about this publicly and he doesn't put it he doesn't put his name in it he doesn't go forward with it because he's afraid of the ridicule and i I think if we're just going to be if we're going to be honest humans without coming without like any of our theological presuppositions or any like war on war on drug political presuppositions look at the look at these experiences i'm not by the way i'm not I'm not. I'm not advocating for it psychedelics. Doesn't sound not, like
0: you are. It doesn't. I'm sound not.
1: I'm not. Down. I'm not saying at any point that people should be doing them, or that it's the right way, or a good way, or or a proper way. That's a whole other question, different discussion. On the question simply, is this a a a form, a practice, an opening to mystical experiences? I, I I find it very hard to see why not.
0: Sure. And I would like to, just to reframe. I mean, it does sound. So you're not talking about a mystical experience, capital R religion. But what I think you're presenting here is a mystical experience, little r religion, because if you're talking about how if if a, if you take a psychoactive drug, right, and it, as Underhill said, it unionizes you with reality, and reality is God, right, that is little, I mean, so in, in a sense, it's always going to come back to the religious, but it, I think as you would put it, little r, not large r.
1: Well, yeah i mean so if it if if let's say hypothetically if 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 taking psychedelics takes one back to church uh on a sunday
0: uh it takes necessarily them back church to... i guess if it, it's if it if it well again just going back to the definition i mean if if it if it allows you to have a greater i don't even know how to put this well if it allows you to perceive reality more vividly right and go yeah. on.
1: No, what what I'm saying is what I'm saying is that it it can bring one back to either forms of religion, to either a capital R or a lowercase r, to either religion or religiosity, sure. uh, and there are people who return to classical forms of religion because of their encounter with 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 the divine or divinities by the use of substances, um, and it can bring people back to religion capital R. It can also bring people back to religiosity, which yeah. is lowercase r, uh, which is a sense of of reverence for nature, a sense of of the sacrality of being, the sense of of the unity and interconnectedness uh, and a desire to to worship the the stranger. I think these are lowercase are these are religiosity. And I think that I think that psychedelics, like any mystical experience, can do that for people.
0: Sure. And I think where and I don't even know if we would disagree on this, but I think where I stand is that I think it would be completely fine if it sparks religiosity back in the individual. I would like to see that religiosity. Eventually, help the individual return to heart our religion. Uh, I, I just because I think that the coupling of both is when you're really, you know, playing and cooking with fire there, and right. I, that's right. that's me personally. And I want to reframe really quick, because I don't want anyone to miscalculate what I'm trying to say. When I say I'm 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 using or I'm I'm categorizing psychoath- psychoactive psychoactive drugs in the field of new age secularism. I guess what I'm saying is I've never been to a Catholic mass where uh, we start, you know, dropping acid. Um, You've probably never been to a synagogue that that's doing the same, right? So that's what I mean. I mean, you're not going to get this in a organized Abrahamic religious setting is you're not going to, you're not going to see the usage of uh, an organizational body, uh, you know, allow for the usage of, of a psycho psychoactive drug in a in a religious institution in a ritual so that's what i that's what i'm trying to that's what i'm trying to get at
1: yeah no i yeah i i appreciate i appreciate you clarifying that i'll i'll, I'll just wanna, i just want i want to i want to add two things to that firstly i like what you said about about um bringing people back to religion and i think there is a discussion of of the value of bringing um of bringing individuals into into community into ritual into practice into into faith communities I think there is a lot of value there and importance. I think that I think that the as as you mentioned, I think that it needs to go both ways. I think that I would like to see um religiosity return to religion and religion return to religiosity. I'd like to see yes. them both come to each no, other that's
0: great because um you need a framework
1: yes 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 certainly you need a, you need a, you need the letter and the spirit. Yeah. and and i think this is an important an important point and and it, this is a constant dialectic throughout religion i will say this on on the on the point that you that you said i was i was thinking that i'm in agreement with you that one does not see um psychoactive chemicals being used in in classic right. uh, mainstream i will say though i will say though while i was thinking i was thinking about my own religious upbringing and i grew up in capital r religion uh, orthodox jewish hasidic community part of part of the hasidic um life um is the consumption of of alcohol um and and i don't know in what way so so in, so in Judaism in general there's a, there's a very wine plays a very sacred place uh, at, at, at 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 just about every major ceremony right same in catholicism um wine is wine when we circumcision as wine friday night when we sanctify the shabbat when we take out the shabbat and we sanctify the week a uh, kiddush and havdalah. there's both wine at a chuppah when when two Jews get married wine wine is there all the time on um, the pesach Seder is four cups of wine this is it's very very it's we're not we're not like Muslims who, who cut wine out of religion wine sure. is very very central um while while it's also recognized to and and in addition to that, there are certain times throughout the classic Jewish year, and this goes all the way back to the Talmud and earlier, where one is obligated not to not just to drink a glass of wine, but to actually become inebriated. Okay. Purim, the festival of Purim, is a is a classic example where where the Talmud the Talmud mandates uh, religious Jewish males to become inebriated to a very specific degree uh, on this day of Purim. Um, so, so wine and alcohol inebriation, these, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in this, I'm not in the science. Um, so I don't know whether these are, whether alcohol is considered um, a psychedelic or psychotropic or what its exact definition, but it's a mind altering drug. That's what it that's is. A, that's the right? same
0: way of putting it. It would not right? be considered a psychoactive drug, but mind altering is that that's, that's undebatable. That's correct. Right?
1: It's, it's, it's a drug which induces altered states of consciousness. That's, that's yeah. for sure. Um, and and uh, so in the Hasidic community, this has taken it a, a bit further where, so the Hasidic community has its roots in, in Eastern Europe, uh, in Russia and Poland. Things were very cold and drinking alcohol was part of was part of the lifestyle there. Um, and as Hasidism immigrated to the new world, to, to America first and then across the world, I grew up in Australia, um, those traditions, those customs, the, the Hasidic community is a very traditional community. So we keep our garb, I, I grew up speaking Yiddish in Australia, you know, a, a Eastern European um, Hebraicized version of German. Sure. So it's a very traditional community, and, and alcohol is part of that traditional practice. And part of it is actually used not just ritualistically, not just like, oh, here's a ceremony. Here you like you, as some sort of symbolic form, you drink a glass of wine. No, there are there's a Hasidic practice, a very, very important Hasidic practice called a verbringen, where Hasidic um typically adults get together to to uh, it's a complex it's a complex it's a complex thing to to describe but it's it's a space for for reflection and growth and song uh, and for for encouragement and for criticism it's it's almost like a form of group group therapy or group spiritual growth. yeah um, and there's different forms of it. It can be peer led it can be it can be led by 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 a teacher. there's different forms of this for bringing. Um, and it's, it's done on certain times throughout the year and then, and more sporadically in other occasions, but part of it is the drinking of alcohol to it's, it's set to a certain limit and you cannot just get smashed, but you can, you can get quite tipsy with it. And and the point of being tipsy is to enable your spiritual development and growth and your closeness to God and your closeness to your fellow peers in that spiritual community and body. So, um, so it's, it's, it, it is there. I mean, this was a long yeah, time. Yeah, no,
0: that's time. great. I that's a that's a wonderful way of framing this. And I didn't necessarily. I I had I didn't even think of it like that. Um, in the Catholic tradition, obviously, you know, and for people watching, I mean, obviously, wine as uh, Catholics believe, and I, as Eastern Orthodox believe, I mean, it's it turns into the blood of Christ. Um, but wine is the wine would be the the physical substance that we use to that, that God uses, right. To, to come into it. So, and I wouldn't say we necessarily, I mean, I, I obviously uh, you're not getting tipsy from, from sipping wine when you go up for Holy communion, but I mean, I don't want to necessarily get into it right now because I feel like we could, this conversation could last like two hours, uh, just this specific conversation. But I am, I am thinking, I know that that got my wheels turning. You are, I, I think that there is that you are correct in that. Wow. That's no, that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's just totally, by
1: the way, this is totally like a ch- tangential gentle footnote. Um, but, but yes, but, but I didn't. Yeah.
0: No, that's great. I, we, we'll talk about that one day. I mean, we should talk about that another day because you know, I think that that could help. Well, that, 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 that could just help this this the, the conversation that we were that we originally started with.
1: Yeah I think I think it also opens it open it opens up the question of like if we're ready um consuming um mind altering substances i.e alcohol in our religious um settings and and communions and communities um what what is what is the the gap then to 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 go on and yeah. to be and listen, i have friends that are working within the orthodox world to try and introduce psychedelics i'm not i'm not part of that movement and i have yeah. my own uh, cr- you know, criticisms, critiques, and thoughts about, about, about psychedelics for as, as an outsider. But, um, but I think it, it's an interesting bridge into that, into that question. It's like, if you're already, you know, having half a cup of vodka or whiskey uh, to, to try and develop uh, in your own piety yeah. and depth and religiosity, why, what's the difference between that and smoking weed or,
0: or yeah. LSD or whatever it is? So it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Question. That's the only thing that's getting in the way is just this like judicious legalism. Or this very, uh, you know, uh, this Western American morality that.
1: Yeah. 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 It's a, it's also, it's a form of traditionalism of like, this yeah. is, this is how it was being done back in the shtetl back in Poland. And, and therefore then that's how we do it. And, and they weren't yeah, right. you know, dropping right. LSD together.
0: So that's a good, that's a good question. I'm going to try to bridge something that I want to also bring up. And this is my way of, of, of trying to, to bridge this gap. So. Okay, our discussion on on psychedelics or mind altering substances that could help us actually uh, reach a greater union with reality makes me think of makes me think of of, of Scotus, the Catholic theologian that you've talked about many times um, on your channel, at least you brought up many times on your channel, and how essentially, I, I again, I, I don't want to 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 try to like sum up the the thought of Scotus and 15 seconds is a, is a sin in and of itself but you know scotus a, a believer that that god unfolds himself into existence and therefore you know you can see god and this is something that the catholics i mean you, you see this in, in even the mysticism of saint ignatius of Loyola, that god is in all things that that god you know i i, I think we talked about this off the air really just like whispers this like lyricism and that lyricism allows for existence to move and to start up. And again, bridging this gap, maybe, you know, psychedelic or uh, psychoactive substances. Well, maybe there, maybe God also whispered in those things to, to, to help the, the human experience I want to get away from the psychedelic and the, and the mind altering stuff though. And I want to talk more about SCOTUS and I want to talk about what you say about SCOTUS in your, in your channel. Well, first of all, I love your channel because how I have looked at it, it's like set up like a book with different headings and chapters. And I love that you have, you, you start off with a, with a, with a section and then you have multiple videos explaining that section. And I see it now, like you and you, and I love how you like you do it. You, you have this like air of like mystery about it. I watched that trailer that you're going to do with uh, let's talk about religion with John Burbanki. And I mean, I'm not going to, I guess I won't ruin it. Um, what the, what the secret word is, but I have a good idea of what it is. Um, but I love that. And, and so like, that's the next chapter, right. Or that's the next yeah. section. Yeah. Um, and what I'm getting at is, so you, you, you have this chapter on on pantheism, and yep. you talk about you talk about the um, well, you just talk about how expressions of pantheism uh, really throughout East and West. And I thought it was funny that you did. I, I liked your uh, subtle mocks at uh, Western medieval <laughs> thought. I didn't agree with them, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. I, I, I consider myself more of a. If I was to pick the two. Uh, between Plato and Aristotle, I would be also I'll be on the side of Plato. So me and you come into agreement there. But I love the subtle dig that you give to the Aristotelians. Um, <laughs> and I All don't, I don't agree with you again. We won't talk about this now. I must say I don't agree with you. I don't think that, I think that scholastic theology is very important. I think in many ways, people just look at it as well, not people, but um, and I don't want to be reductionistic here about this, but I do think that there's more of like a, a poetic. Uh, a, a poetic reality of, of scholastic theology. I do I do love scholastic theology. As I mentioned off the air, I do think that SCOTUS, um, obviously influenced by the scholastics. We we're not here to air grievances though. So what I want to get at <laughs> is, um, I want to get at this. In, in a video that you once created, you were talking about SCOTUS's uh, pantheism and and what you really meant was Scotus's panentheism? How, in in through Scotus's work, in his theology, in his uh, metaphysics, he really proposes a panentheistic uh, metaphysics, a metaphysical, a, a panentheistic metaphysical reality. This, I know, for people who are watching, for people who are casual readers of philosophy, casual readers of theology, individuals who just category, like, you know, just the simple categorizations of things. And we're in the weeds in this conversation here. And what I'm really getting at is that it's difficult. It's good to categorize things, but you need to be careful because it can get very, very difficult if you are unaware or misguided, or you miscalculate the category. So going back, you categorize SCOTUS to be a panentheistic. This has to ruffle the feathers of many Christians, Eastern, Western, Protestant, um, for in the know Jews who are aware of Catholic or Christian theology, I'm sure this might ruffle their feathers as well, to even suggest that someone of the book is a panentheistic or they are establishing a panentheistic metaphysics. Can you explain what you mean it's, try that together. how can you call someone a panentheist and a monotheist specifically a monotheist of the book at the same time?
1: yeah it's a it's a great question. It's a challenging question uh, and it's one which I'm which I'm grappling with all the time um both philosophically and and personally. I think that I think that what the monotheistic mystic is doing, um, is something is something which is which is very subtle, um, and Scotus is a great example of this. But but we could really pull out any name um, that's that's trying to reconcile the same thing, whether that's um, Eckhart yeah. or or Nachmanides, or you know from any tradition, you know Ibn Gabriel or Ibn Arabi. Um, and I think that I think that what they're trying to say is that there's a certain claim that's being made by the monotheist. Uh, which is that there is only one God, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And it's a, it's a denial of divine multiplicity. It's a denial of multiplicity within the divine and amongst other divinities. That's that's the basic claim of monotheism. Monotheos, one God. Yep. The the mystic within a monotheistic tradition um, is saying is taking that claim and pulling it further, pulling it as far as it will go, pulling it to its furthest logical conclusion, which is that if there is only one God, right? And that one God is infinite. That means that there is nothing that is outside of that God. Because if there was something outside of it, that means that that God would have a boundary and a border where it does not extend to, and, and it is finite, therefore. So if there is one God and that God is infinite, what you begin to subtly shade into, and not so subtly in, in the cases of Scotus and the and thinkers we mentioned, is not just a form of monotheism but a form of monism that everything is one and that everything is god right you have to say if if you're saying that god is infinite you have to say that everything is god those those two propositions uh, are natural bad mates. so what what the what the what the christian muslim jewish mystic will do is they'll take their bible and they'll read phrases that are arguing for monotheism, and if you ask a biblical scholar, what is this text or verse trying to demonstrate? Um, there's a verse in, in the five books of Moses. You should know this day and place it upon your heart that uh, that God is one and there's no other God beside him. So, there's no other beside him. So, I translated that mistakenly as there's no other God beside him. And I slipped in that word that, that word is not, in, it's not there in the Hebrew. In, oh, there's, 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 none, there's nothing else besides beside God, right? So in, for the monotheist, that means there are no other gods besides for God. For the, for the mystic, for the monist, they're saying that there's nothing else at all besides for God, which means, mm-hmm. which means mm-hmm. that when we encounter things, when we encounter the rest of reality, there's only one or two options. Either we're not actually seeing something, it's an illusion, Right. And that is something that the mystics do discuss, both East and West. Sure. It's my it's Maya for the Hindu. It's Helim for the for the for the for the Kabbalist. It's a dream for, for some Sufis. That is one option. But the option which I'm gravitating more towards, and I'm seeing in these more finer philosophical mystics, is that what we're encountering and experiencing is somehow a manifestation. A theophany, a revelation of God itself. And this is a point which Scotus makes constantly. Yes. That Scotus is calling Scotus calls creation a theophany. It is a revelation of God. It is Deus Revelatius as opposed to Deus Aspikonditus. That 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 all of reality simply is the face of God. It is simply the names of God, as Ibn Arabi and Rumi put it. Yeah. So 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 the shift from monotheist to monist um is is a tricky one because it's both a logical necessity i'm not saying it's the only logical possibility but it's definitely a logical necessity um or a logical possibility which some will see as as nece- as necessary but at the same time, it's one which radically challenges a standard monotheistic notion of God if monotheism means that God is a third-party agent outside of the system. God is some sort of alien being who comes down and pops the world into being outside of him. And, and for, for, the, for the mystics, God is not a third-party entity. Right. God is reality itself, expressing itself into reality, and 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 Scotus, and many others, will distinguish between God as pre-manifest, God as manifest, the the, the come to the, the 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 radiation of that, and the return to it. This is a classic Neoplatonic theme, which Scotus is reading from the great Christian mystics like Basil and Gregory of Nyssa nice and pseudo de Dionysus, importantly. Maximus the Confessor, uh, as well as Western thinkers like Augustine and Ambrose and Jerome and Macrobius and Boethius, but it's part of this great mystical revolution that goes through religions that that involves a complex dance and weaving between Gnosticism and Neoplatonism and and Philo and Plotinus, and it's a complex story and the story which we're trying to spell on the channel, but but the basic point is that th- that they move what they feel is naturally from their Mo, from their monotheism to a monism in in ways that are really quite i think beautiful and radical and and they challenge a, a standard third party form of of monotheism
0: yeah radical definitely that's a great i mean i think that's a great way of of describing how you can categorize some of these mystical christian thinkers into this uh monistic camp and i i love i mean and and, and Skoda says this and you you bring this up, this multiplicity from unity, um, this exiting and coming back to Exodus and, and, and Reditus. And that's why I do, I, I am a fan of, and I'm sure maybe you've encountered the work of of Jonathan Pajot. And that's why I love, I mean, for for me as a Christian, I think that's a great explanation of why we have the Trinity. It's this idea of uh, multiplicity and unity, right? Constantly coming in and out of each other. And I think that's really important. And yeah, when you, you're doing something really challenging here. I mean, when you, 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 in the sense of interpreting um, Christian mystics here, or mystics across all traditions, it it depends on on how safe you want to be with your notion of God is you put it I love that third party right What you're advocating for is there's no third party, there's no second party. there's just one party and we're all Correct. we're all party. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing of, of, of unity and multiplicity and you know you, you then you know the work of peggio he usually uses the idea of the cup and how the cup is not it's a cup but the cup's a cup because there's a good that it has. And there's multiplicity of a cup, right? So like in my Starbucks cup, right? There's multiple things that actually make this up. And the beautiful thing and why, in my opinion, life is inherently meaningful to to disagree with the nihilists is because we are the players who are constantly making uh, unity out of multiplicity, right? I'm staring at my computer. My computer is thousands of little parts. And of those parts, those are thousands of little more parts. And it's me who is able to, in nanoseconds reconfigure my reality and look at all of these parts and make it into a unified meaningful thing therefore meaning is intrinsic in the human experience you can't escape it because we're doing it right now we do it with language we do it with sight all of our senses allow us to take multiplicity and bring it into one Again, so therefore, life is intrinsically meaningful, and you can't escape it. And anyone who says that it's not is wrong. I'm, I'm hard-pressed about that. So again, if we're to take a look at the cup, right, um, this idea of multiplicity and, and, and unity, I, I think about how we can take that notion and understand it talking about humans and talking about biological living things. and. I, I do think it's really beautiful. I, I believe that going back to the earliest stages of our conversation, I believe that humans really are symbols of God's love. I think that in some, there, there's a fundamental sense that that's what we are. We are symbols of God's love. And I do think that together we need to kind of try to understand existence more in a unified way. Because I think that really if we would be cooking with fire here to, again, use that, use that phrase that we just see each other as like multiple parts, right? We're just multiple different parts. And that's all we see. We look at humanity and we just understand the multiplicity of it. That, you know, um, there's Zebi, there's Joe, there's there's Jack, there's there's Gina, whatever. And we look at this in the religions and there's this religion, that religion. But I wonder what the, you know, I wonder what the, the path would be is if we were to take a step back, stand above and try to realize that existence yes although we need to do the same thing that we're doing with the cup so we need to be able to take a look at the multiplicity and bring it into a unity and what that would what what that would look like if we can realize that maybe if there's a certain good that is bringing all humanity together what that vision of a unified human well what that would what would that would look like right if we're to take a look at but what would be like the unifying object? What would we look like as a, as a, as a unified object? Um, because I do think that if we're gonna say that, you know, life, maybe reality functions by taking multiplicity and making it un- unified, well then we have to try to do that same thing with humanity. And I think the possibility of what it would look like if we realized the unification would be incredible, right? That would be like the highest functioning way of of existing. I'm rambling. I don't know if you have anything to say about that or if that.
1: No, I think, I think, I think this is the basic point that we're trying to get at is that is that we can, we can, we can observe and analyze reality uh, under two aspects. We can be looking for difference and differentiation and there's place in this time for that. And and there's beauty in particularity and difference certainly. Um, And then we can also analyze reality as, as that which is united, that which we are, we're, we're connected in, 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 whether that's in in anthropological ways that we share the human experience, whether that's in metaphysical ways that we share a being or whether that's in theological ways that we share the divine essence, however we want to frame it. Uh, and then and then to hold those together really I, I think that if we're just focusing on difference and differentiation then there's no room for for dialogue and for 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 a dance for us all to live harmoniously on this tiny planet together and if we're just focusing on unity I think as well sometimes that can slide into yes. forms of of homogeny and uniformity and totalitarianism and I think that we need to hold those both together right part of the unity is to find the unity between the unity and the multiplicity yeah uh, and and if we can have those two in a dance together then I think, I think I think that I think that's the beauty of it. And I think that I think that a lot of the work that we have to do as people who are raising our voices in some way or another, aided by the technologies of today, is to try and bring balance back to the pendulum. So if, if we're seeing too much unity, then no, I think we have to make a case for diversity and for multiplicity. If we're seeing too much um, difference and diversity and separation and otherness and bigotry, then we have to make a case for for unity, which is why, which is why I'm taking up the work that I'm that I am is because I think that we have to bring, I think the swing needs to return, but, but it's certainly a matter of, of bringing the dance together. And I think that like, it's so easy to get, to get trapped in our tiny identities in our, like, our, in our, like, we, we get, we get lost. This is a point that a very non-mystic um, Jean-Paul Sartre, the, the French existentialist, sure. makes. He, he says, he says that we can, uh, we get lost. we We think that we are like, we have a job. And we do that from nine to five. And then someone asks us, who are you? We say, I am a waiter. Like it's, it becomes my, he's like, he's like, it's not your essence. Your essence isn't, he doesn't believe that you have any essence, but we may say that. No, like your essence is that you are a human. Like that's four and foremost before you're a male, before you're American or or Japanese, before your nationality, before you're, before anything, you're a human. Like come back to, to, to the unity that you are, to the unity that unites you and that unites those, around you. And I think that it's so like in in the contemporary world that we live in, we need to be able to pull ourselves out and see things from a bit of a bird's eye view and be like, what are we, what are we doing? Yes. How are we living? How are we living our lives? Right. And I think it's a form of insanity. Can you imagine like if you saw someone in the street that was like that was like stabbing their left arm, you would you would like grab them and institutionalize them, right?
0: You doing. Yeah.
1: But but then but then we look at humanity which 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 is one we're like we're one body here on this one planet, united in in radical ways, and we're, and like we're stabbing ourselves, and it's like it's a form of insanity. And I think yeah. when the mystic sees that, it's like it's like it's it's like how can you how can you live in that reality? How can you live in a reality where where part of you, the other human, is on the street starving and hungry? Yeah. It's like you, like that's that's a reality that you can't be living in. And yeah. if you're if you're serious about your theology. And you're seeing, and you're seeing the divine manifest uh, in the human. If you're serious about your, you know, pantheism or panentheism, and you're seeing all is divine, you should like it. Should it should bother you? Um, and I think I think that's the I think that is the case that we're making here.
0: And I, that's why I want to go back to that trinitarian notion of God. And I know obviously we would disagree on this, but that's why it for me for my life that's why it makes sense. It makes sense and how it makes sense and why i'm bringing this back up is something that you said i totally agree it cannot just be it just we just can't we can't just be this like glob of of, of unified things without differentiation right because again yes. i love that you said uh, that's how we get totalitarianism that's how we get tyrannical rule that's true and that's why i personally uh reject the the buddhist project right i don't i do think there is a you know, they would say there's no difference between me and you, right? The only thing that, 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 differentiates, that differentiates us is, is our ego. Um, the, the fact that I believe that there's a Joe a different from, from a Zevi, And I do disagree with that. So you need multiplicity. And that's why going back to SCOTUS, it's, it's a constant exiting and returning, right? So keeping one hand on the unity, keeping one hand on the multiplicity. Again, I, that's why I really like, that's why for me, the Trinity is a, such a great symbol um, or such a great way of, um, when I say symbol, I mean, I'm just to like draw it out, but such a great way of perceiving and understanding God. is it? It is this, you know, this, this we've used the word dance a lot, this dance between multiplicity and unity. And for me, it, it really makes sense to understand God that way. And I think that, obviously, I know this much about mysticism compared to you, but I would say that's the mystics project, right? Would you, I mean, would you agree with me when I, that whole the whole spiel I just went on talking about multiplicity and unity and, and, and trying to see the, trying to take the multiplicity and the unity would be, we need to unify under, under God, whether you want to, well, God, I'll just say that. Um, I, I think that that's, I think that that is part of the mystics project. Am I wrong about that? Or
1: No, I think, I think you're, I think you're, you're certainly right about it. And I think it's a good way of putting it. I would, I would just, I would want to again expand the category a bit broader yes. and I, I would want to say that one can be finding unity and the unity in multiplicity uh, without a without a notion of god. I think I think god is it's important not to mistake the the map with the terrain or the finger pointing at the moon with the moon itself. I think that when we words a word like god uh is a human word, a human language, a human concept and right. it, right. it right. is the a map particular it it is. It is a finger point. It's a schema. Exactly. It's a finger pointing at the moon, and 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 the the moon or the terrain is is reality itself. It is the the Ding an sich as as uh, as Kant may call it. Is the it is the numinous itself. And 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 I think I think that using God is one map. Is one schema. Is one is one way of getting there. Is one signifier. Um, but but I think that I think that one can be a, a very good mystic without without using that particular map, and I think Buddhism is one example of that. Uh, and there are other forms of that. So for some people, it's multiple. It's multiple gods, and I, I I don't want to I don't want to put any of those down. I I think like this: when I I yeah, grew you're up more America, careful think,
0: about that than I am.
1: I'll I was, tell you I was, why. I like
0: that. That's good. I mean that that's that's why we're having a rich conversation.
1: Yeah, and I'm and I'm happy also to 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 disagree about this with the people. I'm not I'm not always looking to Jews. Jews are a very famous for loving disagreement. We see disagreement in good faith as, yeah. a, as a sacred act, right? It's there's there's a phrase in the Talmud which is machlok at the which is disagreement for the sake of heaven, for for the sake of of the divine. Um, so it's not, it's there's nothing there's there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. On, on the contrary, it's it's a rather holy thing to do when it's done in good faith, um, between between people that care about each other. I think that um I think I grew up I grew I grew up in a very, very traditional conservative maybe even fundamentalist form of Judaism. Um, and I'm very grateful that I had that, uh, that upraising and it was very beautiful and very nurturing and very warm. Um, but what I was taught theologically um, as a child, and, and I can only speak to my own experience and education yeah. was that we are right and they are wrong. And they is everyone else. It is the atheist. It is the Buddhist. It is the Muslim. It is the Christian. Um, and there was a sense of of even mock and ridicule, like sure. oh, this this thing which they call a mystery or a paradox is just nonsense and it's it's illogical. and 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 unfortunately, there are still to to be to be to be upfront about it. There are still uh, active voices within the Orthodox Jewish community that will speak about other religions that way. And I think I don't appreciate those voices. I think those I now in retrospect think that that approach is wrong. and from from where I stand now, and I'm still growing and I'm still learning and I'm still making mistakes. but from where I stand, I can say that all of our attempts to gesticulate towards reality itself are merely attempts; they're human attempts to 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 grasp the ineffable mystery of reality itself. And if, for the Christian, the the way which they attempt to to map out that mystery is through the symbolism of a trinitarian uh, Godhead, it is through it is through a, a complex understanding um, that is that is self-definitionally. Paradoxical and and not humanly understandable of of the of three that are one and not one and for them that is an, that is a if it is an effective form for them to gesture gesture towards the reality of being and the dance between multiplicity and unity that we strive for and one which makes them into kinder better caring people better spouses and parents better neighbors and friends better caring concerned citizens for the world then good and what they're doing is true they're doing is true because it is true for them it is a true and by true i mean it is an act it is an accurate map representing reality in a way that's allowing them to live as paragons of someone who is in touch with reality which for me is is as is is an is in kindness in compassion in understanding in care if someone has a perfect orthodox theology of any faith but it's making them, because of their theology or whatever it is, it's making them into, into um, angry, mean, vindictive, heartless people. Then their orthodox theology, as orthodox it is, is wrong. And it's not working. It's not true. So for me, I'm, I'm looking at truth here from a bit more of a Jamesian or, 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 a, or a pragmatistic standpoint. And, and from where I stand now, I can look at another theology. I can look at the Buddhist who has no God. But who is inspired by their own metaphysics, their own theories of unity to live more unified kinder lives. And, and, and I'm perfectly happy with that as well. And I'm, I'm not looking to, to discredit or to discount or to disprove. And I don't need to. And I, I don't need my, my faith isn't any stronger because someone else also has sure. an, an accurate um, road sign that's bringing them into um, reconciliation with reality and allowing them to live in accordance with the, the principles of, of love and reality itself.
0: I have a lot to, there's a lot to metabolize, man. So yeah, I mean, it's walking away from this conversation. I'm I'm, I'm definitely going to do a lot of thinking. It's this, it's such a, it's just so damn difficult to like grasp because again, I'm, I'm, I'm even like now thinking of the first parts of our conversation. I don't know how to reconcile everything that we've talked about. Because I'm i I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this a little fragmented. It's like I'm talk, we're talk, we talked about this, this you know, theistic notion of God. We talked about pluralism. We talked about relativism a little bit. We talked about how we need religiosity and capital R religion. And it's just very difficult to reconcile all these things. Because when you're talking, there's part of me that's saying, Joe, oh, you, 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 you agree very much with Zebby. And there's another part of me that's like, Joe. Uh, you very much disagree with Zevi, Good. and yeah, right, exactly. And the reason is just because it's it's a difficult reconciliation to make, right? So you know, you bring up this very beautiful landscape of of, of what, uh, well, you just bring up this really beautiful landscape of 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 how people can go about their mysticism or how they can uh, achieve a more mystical way of of, of approaching reality, and that's great. But then, you know, there are some things I'm hearing that that sounds a little pluralistic. That sounds a little relativistic. Um, It's just very hard to reconcile. It's just very hard (laughs) to reconcile. It's very hard to call yourself a Jew or a Catholic and not advocate for. uh, Well, I guess for the for us, right, the way of the book. And so and even more so because you do have. You 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 do have very important mystics of the book. You again, you have you have the Jewish mystics, you have you have the Christian mystics, you have you have the, the, the Muslim mystics. And you know, I I know you you don't you don't want to contextualize mysticism um under the banner of any one religion, right? I, I understand that it's just very difficult not to, because then I don't know how. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how you end up getting a, or how, I don't know, how, I don't know how you end up not producing a metaphysics of of, of pluralism or a metaphysics of, of, of relativity, very difficult, very, very difficult for me and, and I'm sure you probably struggle with this as well from time to time.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm firstly, I'm, I'm glad that it's, that it's difficult. I think, I think this, I think these conversations are challenging and they're challenging for me and for you and for us. And I'm, I'm glad that we're both agreeing and disagreeing. Um. And, and I, I also want to say that I don't, I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I'm speaking the truth. I think that I'm speaking what I find to be most persuasive and convincing for me in this moment um with a lot of research and thinking and rethinking yeah. and when i have yeah. real conversations where there's disagreement and and i and i'm 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 sh- i'm i'm left rethinking my own beliefs i find those to be beautiful moments i maybe let's frame it like this i and and you could call this a form of relativism perhaps but but i don't i don't think it is entirely i've given up I've given up perhaps on the project of discovering the truth. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of hubris um, in, in saying that I know what the truth is. I think that knowing the truth necessitates philosophically, metaphysically um, some point of anchor outside of my own reality from which I can verify that I have the truth that is not tainted by, by my own subjectivity, right? For, for philosophical, for philosophical point, I don't know whether I'm awake or dreaming right now, and I may wake up and and this could be a dream, and I've done we I have many podcast conversations, so it would be it wouldn't be a strange uh, content for a dream. um i don't i don't I don't know. I, I don't I really don't know um a good philosophical way to prove. Um, that that this is not in my head, which means I don't have an anchor. I don't have a fulcrum point outside of the universe, outside of my own reality. And I think that the problem with a lot of metaphysics is that a lot of metaphysics, because it's predicated on a third party God, believe that they do have a, a fulcrum outside of the system, which is God, which is their point of truth and and a point of absolute truth from which they can adjudicate um, right and wrong. And, and, it's, and it's a very important one. It's very, It's very central to Western theology and philosophy. I I'm working from the assumption. I, I started off in the very beginning saying that I'm not trying to make any metaphysical claims or claims about the nature of reality. I'm talking about human experiences. Cause as far as I know, that's all I have access to is, is, is my human experiences and the yeah. human experience. I think I, I do have, I do have a bit, I, I have a bit more of a sophisticated point, which is that I think that we have to ultimately deconstruct the binary between objective and subjective. And, and, and 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 sort of move into a place of trans but but that we could get to that perhaps. But the point that I'm trying to say is is that before before we do anything fancy like that epistemologically, I think a basic starting point is at least for me, is that I'm I'm not making claims here about revelation. I'm not saying that some god, some entity came, from outside the system came and spoke to one particular people and told them the truth is that the nature of God is X, Y, and Z. Even if that happened, right under my contemporary epistemology from where I stand, I wouldn't necessarily know how to differentiate that from my own firsthand experience uh, and therefore for- be forced to interpret that through my own experience. I think what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at what are the surest of human experiences. This is a very basic point. When we try to make meaning out of anything, right? We take a text, the text is confusing. We have parts of the text that we have a bit of a better grasp on a parts that we don't have a better grasp on. We take the parts that we have that we understand a bit better, and from them we extrapolate on the ones that we don't understand. This is a classic principle in, in any hermeneutics, very important in biblical hermeneutics. Um, that we can we take what is clear and obvious to us, and then from that we make sense of that which is convoluted and, and unsure yeah, to us. Right. So when we look at human experience, there's a lot of experience. What is what is what is typical of the mystical experience is a term. Which John Verveki and others use, which is that it has a characteristic of ontonormativity. normativity. William James, in, in right. his great book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, calls uh one of the four characteristics of mysticism that it is that is no etic, that it comes with a sense of wow, this is an experience of 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 reality, um, more which is more true than my waking everyday ordinary experience. And and what we do yeah, is what the right. mystics, what like, the mystics yeah, do is. Go on. They they try then to explain their everyday reality based on the clarity which they experience in their mystic, in their mystical experience, and and I th- I think I think that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to start at a very human place. I'm I'm not I'm not making metaphysical claims. I'm not making truth claims. I'm not making uh, religious claims. I'm saying what is it that humans are experiencing, have experienced out of history? How can we make sense of those with the best Science and philosophy available to us. What are what are the theories that we may employ to try and understand them, and and to remember that that they're only just theories. And and at some point we have to make choices. We have to we have to we have we have moral convictions. Yes, I do if,
0: it's the reason why not, you're so, go on.
1: Not just compromise. I think we have to make we have to make choices. We have to make we have to make convictions. We have to we have to we have to have affirmations. The covenant means that I'm choosing to believe in this thing, whether I whether I know it to be true or not. Like in Judaism, that. we enter the covenant with God at the age of nine before the child can sorry, at at the age what am I saying? At the age of eight days old, we circumcise a male child, which means that it's before we can know anything, before we can even conceptualize any syllogism oh, I or I hope you
0: weren't
1: yeah, not nine. Um, and this is a very important point, and and I think that that I and I hope others make a commitment that 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 violence, that hatred, that 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 callousness, that jealousy, that these are things that we want to avoid, yeah. and that kindness, understanding, compassion, um, empathy, these are things we want to embrace, and 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 w- when we establish, and it may be a bit of a reverse metaphysical. we establish what our what is our end goal our end goal is goodness and kindness and then we can we can ask are the theories that we're using to 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 make sense of our experiences which feel more real than our ordinary experiences are they coherent and consistent with where they're ending up because there are mystics by the way who are very who are very terrible people there's a lot of Occult um, and mystical influences amongst the Nazis. There's the whole camp of traditionalists, people like Julius Evola, who who tie power and fascism into their into their mysticism, and they do terrible things with it. So I'm, I'm I'm trying to take a step back here. What I'm trying to say is, and I know I know this may be a bit all over the place, and it's you know. it's me trying to get out what's in my head. What mean, I'm trying to say is that. I, thank you. I'm not I'm not starting with any religious claim. I'm not claiming. There is a God and God exists. I'm not claiming that Judaism is right. And or I'm not making any orthodox claim. No, I'm saying, I'm saying, what is it that we humans are experiencing? What can we extrapolate from these experiences? And I do think that we can bridge our own subjectivity by finding other humans who are having that experience and drawing those parallels and, and being careful about that being systematic and methodological to reach something which is trans subjective in our understanding. Is it relative? Um, I don't think so. Is it absolutist? I don't think so. I think it's somewhere in between that. I think it's trans subjective.
0: I like that term. Yeah. Um. Man, that was good, Zebby. <laughs> I I understand what you mean. Um. And, well, I think I have an understanding of what you mean. I used to sometimes when I was trying to. Actually, you know what, before I get to that point, let me explain. I said the word compromise, and I was going to say, yeah, you compromise, and the compromise is you deciding that you're going to continue to be a Jew. But I like how you said, no, 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 it's not a compromise, it's a choice. And so I really appreciated that. Because for me, yeah, I, I was thinking more, I'm compromising because if you have this vision of 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 well, given given your project, given how what your your beliefs are. Uh, given your beliefs uh, uh, of the trans subjective, yeah, I thought, okay, well, you're going to compromise. Knowing that there are experiences, knowing that, that, that humans share subjective but also uh, shared phenomena, ph- phenomena, we're making the compromise to just pick. I thought maybe you were trying to state that you were just, you're making the compromise knowing all this, that you're just picking, you're choosing, you're compromising to be Jewish. And I like how you, I appreciate how you differentiated. Said No, compromise would, would say that. I think compromise kind of has more of like a relativistic connotation right. Right. where, where choice has a more objective connotation. So I really, I to mix everything up even more. Um, I, I really appreciate
1: that, yeah, I appreciate that you appreciate it. And I certainly wouldn't say that my Judaism is a compromise. Uh, I think I think it's choice. I think it's uh, I think it's who I am. Um, I think it's I think it's it's I don't compromise to be a male, even though that I realize that 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 you know, that I'm a human more fundamentally than I am a male. but but I but I choose to express as such. and it's it's the same way that my masculinity, or the same way that my malehood rather perhaps is part of my um, genetics is part of, you know, how I'm born. I'm born a Jew and that's my spiritual genetics, right? I, I, yeah. I, 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 and I'm, I've, yep. it's not, it's not a compromise as such. I think, I think a metaphor, which I, which I, which, which is helpful sometimes is when we think about language, Right um like there are people who who do believe in an essentialistic version of language and this is typical actually amongst many mystics that they believe that there's holy language and holy language means that the language is not arbitrary it's essential it's ontological it's divine it's 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 it's, it's not just descriptive it's prescriptive it's formative but in contemporary linguistics uh, and in the world that we live in people understand ever since saussure and others people understand or have come to understand that language um, is is arbitrary, right? That I call this a bottle, um, but there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no ontological connection between the syllables and the sound that that comes out of my mouth and, and what I'm holding in my hand. Yeah. And I could call this, I could call this a, I could call this a cup, and that would be fine too, as long as people understand it's conventional language. I think, I think that on those grounds, right? So, so there are people who who do claim that language is essential, and those people, I think, line up. And and actually, both conceptually and in reality, often with a claim that religion um, is essential, that my religion is the truth and my religion is the reality, and it is it is the metaphysical grounding, and it is my god, not your god. Um, Then there are people who have who don't believe there should be any religion at all, and that we should all be doing some either some sort of uh, wishy-washy universalism or embrace some sort of modern uh, technocratic, you know, utopian whatever form of atheism it is Uh, and that's that's like people saying oh we need to be like beyond language at all and i think that that's i think that what i'm saying is that that we need language we need to understand that language is human constructs sometimes we need to we need to believe that it's not and that's that's an important like sort of that's a tricky epistemological thing to do to to believe in the myth even though you know it's a myth yeah but but to have my language and to be proud of my language and and and, and sometimes multiple languages, right? I, I I speak three languages and each one of them does different things for me and I can express myself poetically in other ways and conceptualize reality in other ways. But also what, what, what I'm trying to do through through seekers of unity is to articulate a new language of religion, which is akin to what uh, the Polish, um, optometrist Zamenhof tried to do with his creation of Esperanto that that he saw that there was a lot of conflict and war between religions. It was you know, the time of the great world wars. And he felt that religion was sorry, that language was the barrier between us. And if we could only all understand each other, then we could have world peace. And so he created this very, very basic Esperanto, which was kind of this middle ground of of Western languages. and and but the point is not that all the world should speak Esperanto. If the entire world was speaking Esperanto, right, yeah. that would be the greatest linguistic tragedy that that we could ever conceptualize. If all poetry and all literature and all love and all novels and all 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 theater and all discourse and all conceptions of reality were yes. shrunk yes. into yes. one tiny thin language, that would be horrendous.
0: Yep. It goes I want to people multiplicity and unity. idea.
1: Yes. Here. So so when people talk about a, a, a relativism, I think what they're thinking about is this form of just this, this one thin, wishy-washy thing that everyone does that doesn't really mean anything, but it's just sure. enough that we can all get by on. And that's I that's that that's not what I want to see. I want to see the same way that, that Zamanoff wanted to see the the Spanish speaking 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 Spanish proudly and the English-speaking English finely, and the, the Chinese-speaking Chinese beautifully. I want to see Muslims being the best most devout Muslims connected to their own lineage, their own tariqa and to the prophet Muhammad and to the Quran, the most deeply possible. I want to see the Christian fully in love with Jesus and fully, fully connected to their own version of Christianity, whether that's through, through the mother Mary or through the, through the the saints and prophets, or whether that's directly to the text of the Bible and to the great reformation theologians. I want them to, I want them to be the best Christians that they can be. But on top of all of that, to have a shared common religious narrative, the religious version of Esperanto, which is the recognition that at our core we yeah. are all community we're all attempting to communicate with reality itself, to be in communion with reality. And that is the common language. And that is the trans objective. And that is that with you yeah. notice. And it's not shared a compromise, I mean, right? The shared, the shared cognition, the shared appreciation, the shared experience, the shared yeah, form form to articulate those things. I, I want to be able to have the spiritual experience. Too. I want to be able to have an experience where I can talk with the Christian and 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 he can express or she can express her experience of the dark night of the soul and I can talk about my own experience of Katnissamechen and know that we're talking about the same phenomena from two different linguistic and cultural and religious backgrounds. Sure. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a, 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 a it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not even a compromise. I don't want people to be compromising to be, to speak their own language, to be their own religious. I want them to be fully Buddhist, fully Christian, fully, if someone's, if someone's, if someone's an atheist, I want them to be fully atheistic and fully proud of their the heritage of Madonian science and to be connected by this common thread of mysticism, which I think is available to the atheist, to the religionist, to the mystic, to the Christian, to the Jew equally. That's that's what I'm trying to get at.
0: No, that's good. That's good, man. Yeah, you do a great job. I mean, you you are very talented at, at, at summarizing and paraphrasing. Um, we won't get into this because I know it's so funny. I call this the gist with Joe because this was supposed to the Gist is supposed to be like a 45-minute conversation, but here's the deal. Maybe, maybe talking about mysticism and how we perceive reality and 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 and, and different perceptions of metaphysics, maybe the, the gist sometimes has to be a, a, a long time. And this is a beautiful conversation. I don't want to wrap it up just quite yet, but I do want to start to dissent. Um and man, we need to have more conversations because again. I do disagree. I don't necessarily want a bunch of atheists being the best atheists out there, but that's that's. But I here's the deal. I you approach it in such a a caring way, which is truly the good, right? Like if the good is to will it, it to to will, well, like no, you really like love. I mean, I I I, I, I you you come into this lovingly because if love is to will the good of the other without any selfish regard. That's so when you that's what you're doing. So when you say that you want the atheist to be the best atheist, I would disagree by saying, well, I think uh, maybe, uh, in my opinion, a higher functioning form of love would be, you know, bringing those people to Christ, or, I mean, hell, just for this conversation, bringing them to the book. Um, But I don't even want to talk about that right now. I just want to let you know that y- you approach this very caringly and very lovingly. And I very much sincerely appreciate that. I think that that's Thank you, brother. good. I really do think that's good.
1: I really appreciate that. It's, it's really, it's really good to be reminded of that because sometimes when you're like caught up in like hours and hours of research and writing and editing, and like, you can forget that it's like a love that drives you into it. And and then when I stop myself and ask myself, um like why am i doing it it, it is it is because of, of the love that that it's that is what drives it and i think ultimately that's what drives all of us um so i very much appreciate you firstly seeing it and secondly um you secondly observing it and um and 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 again like i'm i'm really i'm really glad to be to be in both agreement and disagreement with you and i'm and, I'm, and, I'm, and i and i and i'm not i'm not even looking here to 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 like to make everyone think like me and persuade i'm i'm, I'm I, I want to hear I want to hear your disagreement as much as I want to express my own um point of view and to me that's a beautiful thing it's not it's not it's not a matter of of um yeah
0: yeah no i I, I love that i the second point that I wanted to get to maybe this would this could be like one of the last in-depth things that we discuss um. I I used to, okay when I was a high school teacher, it's very hard. This is one of the things that my wife and I are trying to figure out that I want to have conversations with other people about is how do you raise a kid now to be a symbolic thinker, to be a, a thinker of patterns, to see patterns? How do you how do you how do you raise someone to be enthralled by by the mystic ethos? When we're when every when we literally just operate under a well we just operate materialistically I mean we, right. we're just material we're, we're materialists that's, that's literally right. how we perceive reality uh, reality right. is all objective I, I don't even know how I'm going to how, how I'm about to raise my son to make sure that he doesn't do that so that's probably when I talk about what's my gist that's one. Of, that's my project is making sure that my son is not a materialist Um, he can't be <laughs> he, he can't be he, he named him dante after dante and
1: wow. um well.
0: so he he wouldn't be leaving his name in vain if he right. was just a, 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 a scientist a materialist right anyway i get that i i, I <laughs> my preamble um my preamble to to say when i was working with uh 16 and 17 year olds they're their, their whole worldview is, is is scientism and materialism without them even knowing that those those are words right. that those are the frameworks right. in which they operate on it right. and I would have to explain to them again I, I'll bring for the third time I'll bring up uh Tolkien and Lord of the Rings <laughs> I read when I read the fellowship or people, a lot of kids just don't read anymore so I said when you watch the fellowship, do you ever go away huffing and puffing like you're like your heart's beating fast after the movie ends or maybe like at the very end at the return of the king right you're just like because you're just like what did i experience like what did i just (laughs) witness this is great i'm invigorated i feel awesome i have chills starting from my eyebrows all the way down to my toes Because I feel this vibration and it feels good and I feel alive and I feel like I want to do something. Mm. And when we look at art, when we watch a good movie, when we finish a good book, when we read a good poem, it inspires us, right? It, It inspires us to do more. It 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 makes us out of breath. It gives us tingles. And I'm and my point is like that's more realer than. You going to school, and just sitting through a class, and then you being on your phone at night, and then going to bed. It's like that's that is technically not materialistically real, but it's so, but it's so real. It makes you it makes you inspired. It makes you perceive reality differently. That's more realer than real. And I would explain to the kids that, and they would for those who it it would only it only worked for the for the individuals, mostly mostly the young girls because. They're really the ones in high school who are more attuned to liking literature or liking art. But it, it that snapped them out of it for a second. And they realized, oh, there could be a reality outside or there could be a more real reality nested in our objective reality. And so I'm connecting that to what you said before. Like that's what, that, that's that, that you want to like That you're trying to connect. You're trying to to connect and re remember that there is a reality nested within a reality and that it is expressed in multiple different traditions. And you're trying to find what I'm thinking you're doing is you're trying to find the through line, right? Again, I use tapestry. You're trying to weave the tapestry. And the thread is what have humans been able to contextualize? that makes them feel realer than real. Am I correct about that?
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a, that's definitely a, a way that I would put it. Um and I appreciate the the articulation of that. Um it's there's like th- these are really important questions um and I think that I think that it's like it's 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 important to to be careful about how we speak about them. Um I I think two two thoughts come to mind. In, in listening to you and i'm and i'm trying to 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 listen i think i think listening is a, is also a lost art these days i think that we have to be careful when po- when picking our boogeymen and it's okay to have them we just have to be careful and 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 really careful in, in 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 how we pick them um and and then the question of well then what is it that we are aiming for right what are we trying to get away from and what are we trying to aim towards um and you can correct me if I'm if I if I heard you wrong, but what you're articulating is we're trying to get away from materialism from from objectivism, um, and and we're trying to get towards the realer real. Um, Not that
0: we're necessarily trying to reject all materialism and objective objectivism altogether, but again, it's that that trying to find that middle space.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's a, that's that is a more careful way of putting it. I think. I mean. <laughs> I, I do have some observations to make. If if were you trying to lead up to us to a to a to a to to a later point, or is this, or or would you like me to respond to to what you've said just now? You
0: can just respond to this. I mean, obviously, there's more, but there's always more.
1: I think I think just I think I think like this. I think that um, I think firstly, <laughs> we never part of. I don't have children myself uh, at the moment, but I think part of the the challenge of parenting is that. We, we never, we never are, we, we bring our children into the world, but, but they're ultimately going to be their own people and they're going to decide for themselves who they are. I think, I think one of the great uh, morals of the sacrifice of Isaac is God telling Abraham that you do not own your child. Your child is not yours to, to define you. You have to bring up your child on a, on a, on an altar, which is higher than you and higher than your, than what you think as well. And your child will find their own, their own God's. Um, and, and that's an important part sure. of the Jewish tradition. They
0: will leave their mother and father. You will leave Yeah, father behind yeah.
1: That's a very difficult thing from what I hear. I don't, as I'm saying, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a father, but from what I hear, it's a very difficult thing. And I'm sure it's difficult for my father to, for, for, for myself and siblings, each of us exploring our own paths. And and I feel a lot of love and acceptance from them to, to do so. I think I, I just want to, I just wanted to say one thing about materialism and then one thing about realness. Materialism, I think, does become the boogeyman, and I think that it's important to distinguish materialism from how that term is used colloquially and philosophically. Um, so materialism colloquially is is the the notion that we can satisfy um, our cravings in life, um, and our desires in life through material uh, possession and consumption, um, and that's and that's a core of our identity. Materialism philosophically uh, is related to that, but different. Materialism philosophically is the belief that that what is fundamental to reality. Uh, or what is the only thing in existence? Those are two versions of materialism. Uh, is is matter? Is matter itself, and is the negation of of immaterial of the immaterial, right? Um, it's a very it's a very complex point um, amongst theologians and, and philosophers. Theology typically wants to argue, of course, for the immaterial, for spirit, for soul, for divinity. These are immaterial constructs. Um, even consciousness um, is something which is contentious now in in that space. Um, and I, in, in, if we're rejecting the first version of materialism, that that we're going to be happy if we have a Lamborghini or if we have, you know, the next uh, the the fanciest watch. Obviously, that's a form which I want to be rejecting. I, I, I do mean, that's think the,
0: that's what that's what you need to do first, in my opinion. In order, you need to do that first with with with. Um, well, from the example that we're talking about with the kids, or with even with us, um, with people. You have I you're not going to be able to approach that philosophically or even be able to nuance this philosophically yes. and say, no, they're actually, you know, philosophical materialism actually is not the boogeyman. However, no one's approaching it like that first. You have to, you have to give them the practical uh, colloquial, as you put it, reasons why materialism is not good right. before you can even approach the philosophical. So yeah, in my right. explanation of the movie and How that's more realer than real. Yeah, that's that's an attempt to destroy or deconstruct the first colloquial notion of materialism. Again, you're never gonna get there unless you do that first.
1: Right. Okay. So 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 I'm glad that we're we're clarifying the point here. Um the the the, the point which I just want to say is that is that there there are very rich forms, and I'm just gonna I'm not gonna unpack this because it will take too long, but we'll just drop it here and then we can come back to another time. There are very, very beautiful and sophisticated forms of um, mystical materialism, in a philosophical sense, not in a cultural sense, um, and I think of people like uh, people as diverse as Pierre de Chardin who speaks about um, embracing the the ocean of matter, um, for it is that from which we were born and that to which we shall return. And he and there's a divinization of matter uh, in in Hasidic mysticism, yeah. in late yeah. forms of Zen and 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 Mayana Buddhism. So that I just I just want to be I just want to drop that in there just you're to a careful just to guy. Careful. yeah i I, I, I tried
0: to categorize you so many times in this conversation, And you said, Well, let's not. <laughs> or you know my I, I that's what I do. I mean, I think to for better and for worse i I, I categorize and well we I, have to I really I like that you're just like, Joe, let's right. reframe. let's reframe right i
1: right. I hope that I'm not I hope, so, I hope that I'm not coming across as um as as difficult or coming or out, coming across as caring and, okay. and okay. measured. Thank you. So the, the other point at which I wanted to, and this is actually something that I was just thinking about in bed last night and it's on my, it's on my head now, which is why I want to say this. The, in terms of what is the really real, when we come out of a great work of art or literature and and we feel, we feel inspired about reality. We feel, we feel turned on. We feel that, that there's, we see hope, we see possibility. We feel charged to do something um, that, that, that sense of realness um, I, I think is, is, is a super important one, a super important driver. Um, and I think that it's part of, I think that, that, that shades very, very comfortably into the mystical, to the sense of the realness that we encounter in mysticism yeah. There's a great, yeah. great, great, great philosophical, um, exploration of this done by, um, an English philosopher by the name of Colin Wilson, who I absolutely love. What's uh, it's a theme that Colin Wilson, it's a theme which he explored throughout his life. Um, in his very first uh, famous book, which is uh, The Outsiders and then later Man and the Machine. It's a, it's a theme which he explored throughout his life. He, he wrote many, many books. Um, and, and basically what Wilson is looking at, Wilson is looking at the great, he's such a beautiful character and such a beautiful friend to encounter in literature. And I, I recommend him. Yeah. What well, yeah. he, He's talking about the great figures from poetry and art and history and and looking at their moments of, of aliveness, right? He looks at someone like... Um, <clears throat> like um Van Gogh who paints the starry sky this this work which is bursting with life and creativity and imagination and 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 complexity and then the Van Gogh who is depressed who's depressed and suicidal and Man. and and he's looking at he's looking at these at these great characters who go on these Journeys through through the, through the highs of what feels to them to be the realest real and then the lowest lows And and he wants to know which one of those two, are real. Is it the, is it Van Gogh's depression or his starry night? Which one is, which one is the real? Uh, and, and he has, he has his own very fascinating conclusions about that and, and they're worth exploring. And, and he reads that as part of a mystical phenomenological project, existential project is very fascinating. What I, what I want to take out from Wilson and, and from my own experience um, and this is something which I'm learning myself, you know, through the years maturing slowly, which is that there is certainly this pursuit of realness um, and 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 we're looking for realness in in that which is passionate and alive and driven and on fire. We want to be on fire. Um, and we don't want to be depressed and down and 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 uninspired and unmotivated. I and 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 that definitely plays into the conversation of mysticism and existentialism. What I want to present, what I want what I'm what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking lately is that sometimes the pursuit of realness, and I'm not denying what you're saying. I think I think it's so important and so beautiful. And I'm I'm a romanticist at heart as well, and I agree with the sentiment. But I think that sometimes, when we place too many eggs in the basket of enthusiasm and passion, um, we we we're striving for something which is which is transient, which is elusive, and and when that moment leaves us, we can be left cold and dry. And this is there's something of a Buddhist. Argument here, which is that instead of trying to pursue the highest heights and run away from the deepest deeps, we can try and find equilibrium. We can try and find a place where we're not ecstatic and we're not depressed, but we're content. And I, I I've been, I've been having like a rough week or two, and I was feeling kind of depressed after a period of being quite elated. And I, I kind of can go through these, like you know, kind of manic extended phases and then and then sort of depressed phases i'm not i'm not using these terms clinically i think these are part of the human experience and what i'm working on now is is trying to is trying to strive for contentment and trying to strive for like i was i was lying in bed last night and i wasn't particularly elated but i wasn't sad either i I just came back from a very meaningful and honest conversation with a friend a difficult conversation and i i felt a realness while i was lying there that was not ecstatic. And that wasn't bu- I wasn't burning with passion and enthusiasm. It was just simply a realness where I felt the presence of myself, the things around me, and and there was a realness there which which was it felt more more mature and 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 less volatile than than the excitement that I was chasing, uh, you know, earlier. And I, and I still chase. And I just wanted to add that to the conversation because I think for mental health, I think particularly for 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 teenagers and youth. I think it's important to to know that we don't even even within the world of the mystics and I can bring case examples from the mystics where it's not necessarily about chasing the peaks they're not the mystics aren't chasing mystical experiences they're chasing the real they're chasing the divine and sometimes the real is just comfortable and is just a state of equanimity and is just a state of uh, the great Christian mystic who said all is well and all shall be well that it's it's things are okay and that can be very real and that that could be that could be as real if not realer, than moments of no, ecstasy. There,
0: that's that's good. I'm really happy that you brought that up because I think people new to this conversation of mysticism, new to this conversation of religion, new to your channel, new to my channel, whatever. Sometimes I, you think of mystical, capital M, mystical experience. This goes back to the psychedelic thing that we were talking about. Like This is a mystical experience, right? This was a like right. capital M, one time only, right. or you know, like one time or the next week, it's going to be one time, one time, one time, one time. It's like fragmented one time, you know, experiences. And what it sounds like you're advocating for and I wrote this down. It's like, you know, you're, you're advocating for mysticism. I don't even know why I put that mysticism in the sense of, you know, being in union with the reality is it, not an experience, but a mode of being.
1: Yes. one hundred percent.
0: It's a mode of being, it's a mode of existence. And yeah, I, I, and I like that you brought up mental health because, it, it, you know, as I shared this with you earlier, as someone who is um, in the stages of becoming a, 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 a mental health clinician, um, this is obviously something that I want to reframe and, and, and help my future patients, clients uh, realize that, yeah, I mean, the existentialists say this, you know, in, 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 in the theory of, in the theory that they create of counseling is that, yeah, depression, anxiety, Rollo May will say this that anxiety is just it, it's part of the the natural mode of being and and you have to deal with it and 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 yeah. sometimes yeah realer than real might not always be the that was awesome right it, not, it might not be the ecstatic it might just be it, you you might feel you might feel frozen you might feel you might feel down realizing that mysticism is not just about positive emotions that yes. maybe it could also be about negative or neutral yes situations. yes about that, you think? yes 100 yeah.
1: 100 and i think this is i'm not just talking from a place of like 21st century kind of woke psychology i'm talking i'm talking from the literature of the mystics and and if if some, like if we have time to take this up and if someone wants to take it up with me like i can bring like source like source after source of ancient, medieval, modern mystics of, of from the Jewish tradition, from other traditions. But this is such an important point. It's not. It's not the mystics. The mystics really. It's a modern conception that that emerges in the 18th and 19th century, and that's exemplified and, and is is really exemplified by by James, where where it's this chase for ecstasy and for for experience, and and the mystics really don't care about that. They care about reality itself, which they call God, and they care about. I, I really loved how you put it. That it's it's a mode of being which they're after, um. It's a mode of being which is in which is in union with reality, and yeah. um. And it's not about, certain, of course ecstasy is part of that because ecstasy is part of the human experience, and depression is part of that because depression is part of the human experience. The mystic has the dark night of the soul, which is their version of, of a spiritual depression. The mystic has their moments of ecstasy, but but more importantly, it is a, it is a mode of being. It is not about it's not about states of mind. It's about traits. It's about, it's about trans transforming our modes of being to be receptive to reality, to be open to reality, to be, to be, to be, to be in love with reality.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think of the, I think of the reason why so many people have that, have that image. And I think about like the, probably the most artistically renderation of of uh, mysticism in the Catholic tradition would have to be the, the the ecstasy of Saint Teresa. If you know that, if you know that um, work by Bernini, uh, the ecstasy of Saint Teresa. That's the most like famous sculpture. And there's obviously other renditions of it, but I think the word ecstasy. Ecstasy. You. I mean, the the modern contemporary person will either think of ecstasy as like the drug, and then the the the, the, the euphoric feelings from the drug, right. or they think of like sexual status satisfaction, the ecstasy of, of, of having sex. And then you look at, you look at, Bern, then that's why Bernini does a great job. I mean, Bernini, that, that was a man who was, re, who was just able to capture really like the, 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 the physical emotions of, of humanity through marble. truly a, a prophet in his own right. But, you know, you look at that rendition and it's the ecstasy. I mean, St. Teresa is being pierced. That's what it looks like. It, it, it's a piercing. And there's like calamity on her face. It doesn't it's not good it doesn't feel good, right? And I think that's a great way of, of, of trying to think of like, yeah, this this, this mystical mode of being. And again, just another way to, to, to frame what we're, we're discussing is that, yeah, it's not all pleasurable. And but when I say that, there's pleasure in the unpleasurable at the same. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes yes if
0: that makes sense um,
1: yes no it's it's a subtle point which you're trying to get across and but but it's one with which it's one with it, which which i resonate with which is that and this is this is the point that the that that the eastern mystics make very beautifully um and that the kabbalists make as well thinking now that that the that the fundamental nature of reality in some sense <clears throat> i'm not saying this is this is what they're saying sure. um is is awareness uh, consciousness bliss um, for the Kabbalists, they describe as the, the fundamental uh, or, or primary manifestation of the divine Keter as a state of 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 desire and will, in a state of a state of time, a state of pleasure, which is which is not and it and it's it's it can mean pleasure as we make it out to me, mean ecstasy, um, because it also just means that 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 fundamentally being being itself is is, is like a beautiful thing. And it's a pleasurable thing. And if, and it's not, it's, it's not a pleasure in terms of like a pleasure, that's part of some sort of uh, arousal and then, and then dissent. It's just like the the state of reality. If we, if we could just like let go of our fears and concerns and, yeah. and problems yeah. for a moment, we would just feel there, there is, there's, there's, there's this sort of baseline bliss that underlies reality. And it's not, it's not like a, a running, pumping, exci- like it's not an exciting bliss. It's just, yeah. it's like just the bliss of being. and And, and I think that's the, that's the great equanimity which they're which they're after. And um yeah, ex it's it's funny because because ecstasy, the etymology is literally ecstasis to be to be outside oneself, to 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 and which is which is what it means in the Greek context, that that one has an outer body experience, yeah, and it yeah. transcends from themselves. And I think we have to like it's it's a clunky word, but we have to try and introduce something like like instacy of like like no, like don't don't run away from your situation. don't run away from yourself. like be be speed so deeply in yourself like that you can feel like the like the, the homeostasis of your body. you can feel like like the the, the, the bliss that it, that is in your being. Um, which is which is also I think a fundamental point of Christianity like this 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 notion that comes out of out of the gospels themselves that God is love that that like God, I.e reality is is a state of lovingness, is a state of bliss is a state of peace um and 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 it's and and i think this formulation is 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 really really critical and i'm glad that we're having this conversation
0: yeah and i just want to just say one one thing you know you talked about god is love and how you know i.e god is reality and again piecing this together saying that you not every mystical experience is pleasure and pleasure it's either Not every mystical experience has to be aesthetic in the way that we think of it. And yeah, I I, I go back and I think about even, um, again, I don't want to, I'm probably going to misstep here because I don't, I'm not a great thinker in Old Testament thought, but even like the, the, even the way that God is characterized in the Old Testament, right? This, it's not always, it's not always love in the sense of pleasure. Sometimes it's love in the sense of pain or in the sense of retribution, in the sense of punishment. And yeah, we need to be more attuned to that because there is such thing as love in displeasure. And and yeah, I think I think the mystical project, and I hope that people realize that yeah, the mystical project is is trying to understand a reality that both that that has both pleasure and pain in it, and 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 that those are good things to experience. And I really I'm really happy for you that you had that realization. I really I mean that in. You know, I think a lot of people, I I don't think that what you're saying is completely unique. I think that um, in the personal, in the personal is the universal. And I think many people have thought this before, but again, going back to a a, a more of like a mental health, mental healthy aspect of this is that people like to run away from those negative or just not always positive feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a real problem. Um, and, you know, I moving forward, I, I mean, if you ever want to have another conversation, I would love to have a, I, mean, I would love to have, we, we, there's a lot to have a conversation. There's a lot to have multiple and multiple conversations about, um, I would love to, you know, if you, maybe if you would ever want to even talk about this idea of pleasure and pain or pleasure and pain in, 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 context of mysticism, in context to even mental health, how a mystic mode of being might be a good, not remedy because I don't don't like to like throw like a panacea on it, but a good intervention, maybe it's the right word, a good intervention to alleviate maybe some presenting mental health concerns. I think that would be like a cool conversation and and cool work that we could do later. Um, Also, didn't really get to it today. Love to talk more if you're ever willing to talk about St. Ignatius of Loyola really my one of my favorite mystical thinkers and, and someone who's really overlooked as a mystical thinker. Um, I was trained by the Jesuits. Uh, I went to a Jesuitly sponsored university and I, I have a lot of, lot of passion and, and, and a lot of respect for Jesuit thought. It's hard to say that as a captain because in, in the United States and really throughout the world, whenever you say that you're a Jesuit. They just automatically think that you're a silly liberal, and that you don't have really anything to say, and that well, there's just a lot of connotations. But right. I think Saint I think Saint Ignatius of Loyola might be an overlooked figure in the in the history of of, of of Catholic mysticism. um And maybe we can have that conversation one day. And maybe we can just have another conversation about how the the, the thousands of things that we talked about today. um I really appreciate you you taking the time. If I was to, I was thinking of like how I want to wrap this up, like what's the gist? I think, Zebby, I think you're, you're trying to do a really beautiful job at re-remembering how reality once was and how it should be. And I think that's really the gist of to reframe or to, to just reword what your gist is. It's just trying to re-remember. I don't think these things have been lost. I don't mm. think that that's not how knowledge works. It's not like we discover knowledge and now okay. knowledge is, it's, it's, it's out there. Yeah. this is out there and we just need to find we're not even find it's there that's the thing it's there we just have to i like re-remembering maybe yes it's like we're we're um oh what's the word when you lose your memory after a fall like,
1: like, amnesia
0: yeah it's like I mean, we're, yeah it's like we, we we have this amnesia and we just need to we we need to re-remember and and, and like most people who have amnesia they they eventually wake up and Maybe it takes maybe it takes some time to do it, but maybe it, it it takes having I don't know experiences that you once had or experiences that are memorable to you or important to you to wake you up. And maybe I think that's what you're trying to do with your channel and your mission and your your project. Um,
1: I so appreciate it, Joe. I so appreciate being able to to share and to to remember with you. Because uh, it's certainly something which which I need to be doing as well, and I, I don't so I don't want to I don't want to make as if I'm saying anything original here. I'm really not um, in in any field. I I think that in, in in the work that you're going into now in psychology, I think a lot of the humanistic psychologists were very very inspired by mysticism when we're making these points, and and I really I don't I, I don't I'm not trying to do anything original, um, but but this work of remembering is is really so important, and it's actually it's a metaphor which which many of the mystics of many traditions use that. That we get lost in in a state of amnesia, or in a state of a dream, a state in a, an illusion, and we have to wake up from that. And yeah. that's a, that's a metaphor which is used very beautifully in the East. It's used by by Ibn Arabi in Sufism. It's used by the Baal Shem in the Hasidic tradition. That we have to like wake up to 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 the reality that we know that we know is true. And and one of the most beautiful metaphors, if I can just if I can give Wait. one last image here, is the uh, the metaphor that like when we are a child in our mother's womb, we experience that divine embrace. We experience the grace of God. We experience the unity of reality. We experience the symbiosis of two hearts beating in one body. We experience, we experience that the, the nurturing and care and love, the, the infinite love of, of, of the divine mother of the mother for, for the child in the womb. And, and when we leave the womb, uh, in a, in a in in what new in what psychologists now are referring to as a tra- as the like the trauma of birth, we we forget that. And there's a Jewish tradition of 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 an angel using the metaphor of 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 the angelic that comes and and steals that knowledge, from that 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 memory. And the mystics are really trying to come back to the womb. They're trying to return. There's a lot of Freudian analysis yeah. here and, oh, yeah. and modern. Martin Buber has his own beautiful, the Jewish existentialist philosopher has a lot of beautiful readings of this as well. But but it's a sense of of remembering our reality, remembering our reality both biologically, going back to the mother, and and spiritually going back to 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 the soul and and to to the embrace of of the divine, to the to the to the unity of reality, and and to live from that place that the 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 womb in Hebrew is is, is Rechem, and Rechem is the same etymology as Rechem, and as mercy, as kindness.
0: Oh. Uh, and, To go to go back
1: to go to go back to that space to go back to to the mercy, which is the reality. Like we to go back to our inner child that that knows that experience to be true, Um, and it's the work of remembering. For the Kabbalists, it's the work of putting the body of God back together. That that God's body is broken up into into how many humans there in the world? Uh, Sixteen billion, and to to bring those limbs to bring those limbs back together one by one in, in, in loving unity. Um, so, so I so appreciate the opportunity to, to share this and to, and to remember with you.
0: I appreciate and... the opportunity. I really do. I mean, you're A pleasurable conversation and I appreciate this. I really do. What's, what's, um, what's next? What's the next chapter in the book? I think I know what it is. Am I allowed to say it or no?
1: Yeah. Tell me, tell me what's your guess. Because uh,
0: your... I'm guessing something with neoplatonism, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you got so real quick, if you just want to say, so you, John Ravakey, um, who else?
1: There's Philip Holm, Philip Holm from Let's Talk Religion, Justin Sledge from Esoterica, Angela Puka from Angela Symposium and Dana Trell from The Modern Hermeticist.
0: Wonderful. And um, are those videos being recorded or are those already finished?
1: They're, I mean, so they're going to be released the last weekend of December. So like okay. December 30th or something. Um, some, I, I'm not sure where the individual creators are at. Uh, I know that some of them have already, I've recorded I, I'm actually doing f- like a three or four in that series, and I've recorded the first two, and I'm working on the second, the second and th- the third and fourth. Sorry, third and fourth. Third. Um. So, so that's all. That's all happening. I'm very excited to be doing that collaboration. Um. I have I have an interview series with with some of the world's leading scholars of Jewish mysticism here, um. On in Jerusalem, that I'm actually recording now on on the campus where they're hosted. Um, so that's exciting. That's, that's going to be, that's going to be, uh, about a dozen, a dozen weeks, um, of, of, of interviews. Um, so one a week, uh, we have, a, we have a collab, we have a collaboration with philosophy channels. That's going to be YouTube wide. That's now that we've been working on for a few months, just a lot of fun, exciting stuff. Uh, and, uh, we're doing, we're doing, we're reading the any ads, the we're doing a live reading once, just, just fun stuff, trying to, trying to have fun with it and trying to, be serious and and not too serious at the same time, um, and and it's been it's been a great ride. Thank
0: God. I, I really appreciate, it, brother, and I honestly I, I I love this. I walk away from this conversation um, meeting a stranger, but honestly, someone I call a friend now. So, like, so this, is, this has just been a really stellar, out of the park, uh, second installment of of, of of just with Joe. I'm probably not going to get anyone who who watches this anymore. Like I said, it's supposed to be a gist, but again, complex things needs a longer gist. So Yeah,
1: yes. Um, I'm very much much looking forward uh, to it coming out and and to be able to share it with my community as well. It will be an honor and a privilege.
0: I appreciate it, Zevi. Thanks everyone for watching. Uh, Check back next Tuesday um, when I interview the author C.R. Riley. Bye.